Why is that not surprising? So, anyway, yeah, he was really cool and done a lot of philanthropy work around the around the uh, area. S E N S O N. S E N. Thank you for asking. Yes. Yeah, just want to make sure. Indeed. <laughs> yeah, I. Um, you climbed Everest then? No. No. no? Okay. No, I haven't climbed Everest. Okay. Climbed K two. Okay. He's gonna Good do enough. Everest. <laughs> I, and, um, I didn't want to ever do Everest uh -huh. just because of what it represents yeah. now. Mm -hmm. it, 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 to me, it just represents if you have enough money, yeah, exactly. you can climb it and somebody will get you there at the top. Yeah, It doesn't matter. Yeah, um, yeah. And so I, I st I've stayed away from it just because so many CEOs and presidents of companies mm -hmm. do it just because yeah, so they can, so they can this, say yeah. they have some credibility in the world. But they probably took them as far high up as they could go. And, they, and, they, <laughs> and, their, and their biggest physical feat is they can run a marathon. Yeah. And that's all you really need to be able to do is have yeah. at least the ability to run a marathon. Yeah. And you can climb with the guiding services that just get you there. Right. They're carrying your gear there. Oh, yeah. They're setting your ropes. You don't even know how to tie it. Yeah. Some of these guys, you've climbed Everest. Really? So which knot did you use for this thing? And this uh, thing, they don't know. They didn't do it. <laughs> they don't know. They just, they just sat there and did yeah, what they were that, told that to do. That makes sense. Now, that I, makes I, sense. I don't want to take away the fact that it does take courage. Yeah. To Especially if you don't know what you're doing, mm -hmm. to do something and to put your trust into the hands of somebody else that's guiding you there. Mm -hmm. But that's really it. Okay. That's, that's it. You had some courage and you had a lot of money. Yeah. You had some time and you could run a marathon. Yeah. So that's that's it. Yeah. That that fits a lot of people. Yeah. Yes, I agree. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah, that was just a uh, something I wanted to do when I was younger. I haven't given it up, but then I haven't been training for it either. <laughs> you know. Well, so I, think, I think in the next I'm hoping that the, with the momentum that's been started, I think in the next twenty years it'll be different. Mm -hmm. But right now in Nepal, it's still their number one income source for tourism. Gotcha. And they've been very irresponsible. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. They don't haul out trash. Mm -hmm. They don't. They haven't. Yes, they, haven't. they haven't limited the amount. Of, oh, you want a permit? Okay. Yeah. Here you go. Never. Can the ecosystem handle another twenty-five right. people this season? Right. And I mean, not to glorify the National Park Service in, a, in the United States. Because uh, they don't necessarily do an awesome job at this, but they yeah. they do a job at making sure that the ecosystems are protected by impact, by how much uh, how much human interaction can this trail take before it's no longer animals can't live here or <laughs> humans can't continue. Right. I mean, the trash, just the trash alone, yeah. um, that's at base camp in Everest would would floor you. And this is base camp in Everest is a place that sees above freezing temperatures twenty five to thirty times in a year. Wow. And so all the human feces yeah. that's constantly been frozen since yeah. like the nineteen thirties. Right. Um they don't have never even hauled it off. Oh jeez. So I mean there's literally just gray areas you just don't go. Right. You're gonna pick up bacteria and and uh, uh strains of I don't know, Ebola, whatever <laughs> yeah. it is. It's craziness. Yeah, it's crazy. And, and it's just been, I mean, I am not an expert on this topic by any means, but um, if, if American 
slavery is looked at as a travesty. Mm-hmm. They need to look at what Sherpas are in Nepal. Yeah. I mean, it, it, you you are a slave. I'm seeing I've heard, heard that over and over. Yeah. But you are a slave, and they make sure that those people don't rise to another level. Yeah. That's why I'm so excited yeah. you know, <laughs> about those that have escaped that, that world. Yeah. But yeah, because I mean, you're either against slavery or you're not. And I, I, I don't, trust me, you and I would have some fun having <laughs> a discussion because I feel the same so, way. So, for a lot of stupid reasons, and these are the things that maybe Red will talk about today. For a lot of stupid reasons, I've not done Everest. Okay. Climbed up on, I've climbed up on some type of a soapbox of mine to say politically or morally, I just, it's not right. right. But the reality of it is, it's the seventh summit that I haven't done yet. So, yeah. I probably need to just get over it and do it. Just do it. So you have it, then you can give your own rendition of (laughs) what you saw. (laughs) And I have been to base camp. I did come to base camp just because I wanted to to experience what it would look like. And I was already in Nepal because it was K2. Right. Um, Well, technically, technically K2 is in Kathmandu, but Mm -hmm. you have to go through um, that area anyway. So, yeah. When was it? When were you there? I did K2 in 2004, so, gosh, it's been 25 years. That's no, not, plus? <laughs> Wait, that's the new math. <laughs> that's still a long time. Yeah. 15 years. Yeah. I was only 35, 36. So. Well, young man with <coughs> You had hair when you hit all those six summers, didn't you? <laughs> It's supposed to be the other way around. You climbed them, so you got here. I'll probably stick out and use the bathroom real quick. I don't. Okay. Yeah, okay. Cool. Yeah. Um, so, Brad is an amazing guy. I was just going to ask him to tell me uh, a little bit more yeah. about him. So oh, what, you about to do it? So yeah. what, what, what is this what you do for a living? Uh, right now, yeah. Okay. <laughs> it's been my dream for a long time. I've, I've got 30 years of working with families and I love working with at-risk youth, and I've literally worked with over, I mean, one-on-one, over 4,000 families in my career, and I've uh, used to do a lot of public speaking. I've worked with the state, uh, developing a lot of their curriculum and things like that, so I've been busy, but I've also got uh, five and a half years in radio. Okay. Uh, I've done two uh, two and a half on a network station on down in St. George on AM890, KDXU. So anyway, (laughs) I still got that in my blood. But then after that, uh, went away. When I say went away, uh, KSL came in, bought them out. And then they just wanted their Saturday programming, even sure. though we were the number one rated you know, show on the weekend. Uh, but anyway, I, after that, I, I loved radio. So I got back into it again on an um, uh, uh, internet network. It was Grapevine Talk Radio Network, and I was on there for three years. Okay. And, and I built an audience of about 300,000 people. And, and then all of a sudden, they come to me and we're done. We, we can't carry the station anymore. It's closed. I'm like, what the, yeah. <laughs> so I just fell off the face of the earth. And then I, a little shortly after that, I ended up having brain surgery and yeah, it was, I'd lost my sight for a while. And yeah, wow. it was, yeah, it was, it was something Welcome else, but <laughs> thank you. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not supposed to be here anyway. So I've had three doctors tell me that. Uh, that being said, I, I couldn't do radio because my, brain functions had slowed down quite heavily if i if i could talk about the same things that i'd been talking about for the previous <laughs> you know 40 years i was fine but 
if somebody asked me a question, it'd be like, the answer's sitting right over here, but yeah. it's not coming out. Yeah. And so it was like, okay, I'm not going to be able to do this right now. And I asked the doctor, well, will I ever be able to return? And he said, don't count on it. But then I've just been pushing myself a little bit more, a little bit more. I, I just go until it hurts. And then I back off. It just, it's like, uh, it gets overwhelmed real quickly. If I, if there's too much going on up here and too many questions asked and my brain feels like it's going to explode. So I just have to, don't ask me any questions, anybody. It's just kind of a weird sensation, but now 11 years has passed since that happened and I'm like oh it's starting to go away so now I'm <laughs> that's awesome yeah. and, and so in February I, I told Rick uh, Richard Paul Evans here I said uh, well he knew I was in radio and I just said I think I'm ready to to get this thing going here and he just turned the reins over to me and said go for it build it and wow. here we are <laughs> well that's a segment of what the real story is <laughs> yeah, so that's awesome it's awesome so this is what I do want to do for the rest of my, uh, um, this is what I'd like to do for the rest of my career, the rest of my life, do you know, public speaking and teach, teach everybody what I've uh, learned over the years. And that's cool. Yeah. So I do both. I do both my own show. I have the Brad Newfeld show and then I help other people build podcasts and stuff. Getting into the radio business is a tough deal. If any, I mean, there's a lot of people there that have good information, but try to get in, try to get a, a show that any of the network, go ahead. I dare you, you know, <laughs> it, it's, it's a tough deal because it's, it's really locked down. It's all money. And so what do you do? And, and I've been wanting to provide a way for uh, you know, people like Brett to get your message out. Uh, Podcasting is a big thing. I mean, you can probably do it with or without me, but I've got a lot of channels and with my experience and how, what it takes to build a platform and make a, make a show that people want to listen to or, bring that to the table. So that's, that's, where, that's, 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 that's outstanding. Yeah, outstanding. So that's what I do. You and my dad really got along really well. I think. Oh, wow. He was the chief engineer of WOR radio station in New York He's City. He's in New York City, yeah. Yeah. And cool. um, he was a Methodist minister for many, mm -hmm. many years, and then he converted uh -huh. uh, out of the Methodist religion and lost his, he lost uh, his job, uh, Wow. Yeah. But for a long time, he was a minister on the radio mm -hmm. on Sunday mornings, and they... Mm -hmm obviously on behalf of his congregation, but they would always have him consult with, and we've brought in uh, minister, uh, doctor, mm -hmm. uh, Martin Peterson, uh, minister of the local, whatever, whatever, and he's gonna comment now on whatever the breaking news is. Yeah. And so he knew everybody at the radio station, and so when he lost his job, mm -hmm. they actually just put him in, in the radio station yeah. personnel, and uh, eventually worked his way up to chief engineer. Nice. So it's kind of a, Wonderful. Kind of a neat thing. Yeah, anyway, that's that's the short version. I gave him the one and a half minute version. <laughs> well, good to know you, Brad. You too. You, you too. Thank you. Did you talk to him about your counseling program and other stuff? I just ba just barely tapped into it, but yeah, I've developed some pretty uh, in well, I say intense curriculum. I the, I had a contract with the state uh, for about five years, and, and we were given a uh, well, it was a, it was a. Uh, they used, there were six states that they used as test states. This was back in the late 90s, early 2000s. Uh, it was the Workforce Investment Act. Uh, the Clinton administration had, had said, let's, let's do this because they're throwing all this money into youth programs and nothing's changing. It's yeah. all it's the same old numbers. If anything, it's getting worse. And they said, well, why don't we put some money out and, feed, and 
bring in some programs from the outside and let's see if we can do anything to in increase the effectiveness of our programs here. And unfortunately, we were the only ones who, did our area, which was down in Southern Utah, we had 11 counties that we worked over, but they, uh, uh, they we, we said, all right, we're gonna come in here, we're gonna do some thing, different things. We're gonna experiment with a lot of things until we figure out what works. But it was our goal to get uh, kids from the, from the age of 14 to 26. Uh, they had to be either dropped out of school or they had to be in poverty situations. I mean, it was stuff that, you know, these people, yes, are, they're not breaking out of yeah. their thing there. And so, but uh, we took it on and it was our job to get them graduated from high school and either working in a career that they could grow in or they had to be in post-secondary education before we were done with them. So it wasn't just, now let's just graduate you from high school because I, I had told them, I said, if that's all it is, I mean, great. But if you don't teach them the skills to take what they've learned and take it to another level, yeah. nothing's going to change. Exactly. Um, I'm grateful they listened to me, but they uh, but they did, and we created quite a program. We worked with over 1,600 kids in a four-year period, and and we 93% uh, success rate. And these were kids that, I mean, we didn't get to pick and choose. We didn't get to go, oh, I think you'll qualify. No, it was well, whoever we had, we had to work with them. And yeah. So we learned a lot of really cool stuff and had to get creative on some of the kids. <laughs> We work with so we developed this curriculum and it's it's pretty life-changing and uh, we also took the approach of because I was a motivational speaker and I didn't like that I would go out charge people all this money yeah they were paying I was making 11 grand a weekend and I love that part but I wasn't making a difference you know yeah. people would get pumped up for a weekend and then nothing would change and so I took that kind of frustration with it and going okay how long does it take for somebody to integrate this stuff into their life and it, it took about a year I mean, that's, that's where we were at, some kids longer. But we were, again, we kept going until they changed, right. <laughs> so to speak. Yeah. And some of the kids were up to three years, but it was on average about a year. And so that curriculum, that's what uh, Brett's referring to, the curriculum we have, it's uh, a one-year curriculum. It's really um, that's good remarkable. stuff. Good so, stuff, Brett. So. Good stuff. Yeah, he's, got a, he's got a pretty cool vision of what he was creating in it fit very well with Limitless and what mm -hmm. we were training people on and, yeah. and is very similar to the personal confidence model and other things that we've put into place. And he was actually applying them, those similar concepts, but on a bigger scale across a diverse group. And so we've had some great conversations and talking about how do we, how do we take this on a much bigger scale, right? From a yeah. podcast to actually our Limitless events to, right, the whole I feel match. like that's what I can bring to the team. So I'm like that. Love to be wow, part of that'd it, be so. so great to have yeah. you. That'd so be cool. I can't wait. Can't wait to learn more about you. <laughs> so, so, anyway, I, yeah, I was uh, really wanted you guys to meet, and, and uh, there's some really interesting guys kicking around the hall here at times mm -hmm. that have some have a great message and and have overcome some some things. And you got people like Rick Evans who achieved a mountain and are really serious about helping and getting the word out about how to help people. So it's been really cool. That's cool. So anyway, I'm glad you're here. <laughs> All right. Well, shall we get started? Yeah, let's do something. Oh, right. um, I forgot to ask you this, but um, you know, it was my picture that went out on Sal's podcast. We're actually going to change that out. There's a picture with a picture of him. So if you've got a picture of you that you want me to use, just email it to me. Because it'll be your picture that's 
on okay. the podcast. Uh, and it'll be somebody, oh, you know what we didn't do with Eric? Mm -hmm. We didn't get a shot in the studio. No, we didn't. Uh, so I want to get a picture of us, all three of us here real quick. Just a selfie. <clears throat> I love seeing those on Facebook. <laughs> so, because each week right before the, so the shows will air every Thursday at 11. Okay. Um, starting on the Monday prior to the show, I'll I'll just be pushing on my feeds. I don't know. I've been showing Brad some social media strategies to push all the podcasts and help them get their station to a couple thousand likes so that they can get the widgets and other I don't know exactly what y'all got for us getting to 2,000 likes, but uh, that's some kind you. of really backward social media strategies that were in place. We kind of straightened that out, but um, it'll go up on, is it going to go up on the, on the Kings radio Facebook page first? Uh, it, it's simultaneous, simultaneously. Well, I mean, we can put, we could put it on tonight on the Facebook. Well, I, I don't want to change the way you're no, doing no, it. I just okay. wanna, um, and so, it's also all these are going to go on the Operation Limitless page at the same time. And then he puts them out through uh, on SoundCloud. That's how they're, that's how you're listening to it through essentially. And then it goes also out on Podbean, which sends it to all the major distribution channels like iTunes and YouTube and wherever. So it's getting distributed mm -hmm. all over the place. Yeah. Um, okay. This course, is our, our Facebook page here. And this is, this is what we got for 2000 likes this radio player right here. So basically, you click on it, and instead of them actually having to go to the uh, the radio website, oh come on, there we go. It just brings it into here. Cool. So, because this is the radio website here, so I mean, if you right now there's a song playing, well, you can hear it in the, but it's on there. So this is the radio station here, and see the way we have. Um, your show actually airs like six times a week, but we, but we like to have, let everybody have a specific date and time so that you can advertise it yes, and drive people to it. Yeah. So as you can see here on Thursdays, this is where Operation Limitless is right here. Thursdays at eleven o'clock. Cool. And so. And so we want to. Um, one of the things I'm going to help Brad's help me with the show. One of the things I'm going to help him with is the social media strategies and how to how to get things like you know massive number of likes and followers and all that to, to come in. And so so far it's working pretty well. Um, the, even the interview with Sal, even with the little bit that we did, they're not huge numbers, but we got the biggest first day number of biggest first day number by far. Um, so um, got some other strategies to put in place, but. Cool. I want to make this a thing, man. We're going to turn Limitless into something that's going to change the world. Yep. Uh, I can't tell you, Brad, mm -hmm. about how awesome this guy is. He's an inspiration to me just to sit next to him. Oh, every, everybody <laughs> you've introduced me to. Oh, I'm glad you're here. <laughs> it's the other way around. That's all right. We're But anyway, um, you, next time we do a limitless event where he gives the presentation of unpacking your fear or we've all packed your fears. Yeah. Mm -hmm. that, was, that was an awesome presentation. Fantastic. <laughs> um, anyway. Fantastic. So 
Well, it'll go. You'll get a. It'll be your picture. I'll put the Limitless logo on. That's how we'll brand the show. Uh, so the picture I want is just the picture that's Super easy. Okay. Okay. So if it's on there, I'll I can get it off. Okay. So. It's super easy. Okay. So we'll do that, and um, so basically, it looks like uh, this right here. So your picture will be here with all of the. Cool. Stuff on it. Perfect. Holy cow, 53. You're going to be, oh, man. <laughs> I just keep growing. Yep. Um, so anyway, he's going to put it up on their thing. I'm going to put it up on <coughs> same day, simultaneously. And then I, even if even if the Kings didn't put it out anywhere, I'm going to put them out everywhere. So yeah. the more we distribute them and get them out, and, um, obviously the more people are going to hear about it. Um, also, everybody that like that I interview, I always want to push their stuff, right? Yeah. And so, I know you've got a book in the works. That's are you still doing adventure retreats? If somebody yeah. wants to, I, I know you've yeah. kind of gone in and out doing that, but I just want to make sure before we go live, uh, are your your little immersion trainings? I guess like steel forging knives and that stuff. Are you still doing those? Well, this weekend. Are you really? We. So Mark has some incredible skills. Like he brings people to his house for three or four weekends mm -hmm. and he teaches them <clears throat> essentially how to forge metal and create their own knives. And <coughs> he'll do things like teach people how to source their own food and skin mm -hmm. animals and do all kinds of nice. He's just like, he's the guy I say that makes Bear grills look like a cub. There's okay, just a lot of skills I think that kind of have been lost. Because <coughs> we can go to the grocery store and just order it. I'll go to REI and mm -hmm. buy it, and then nobody wants to make it. Anymore. Right. Like, there's there's more to, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, I hate to say the zombie apocalypse crap or whatever, but just having skills. Just mm -hmm. have skills. Yeah. What, what, are you, what do you do? What do you have? Mm -hmm. So I just thought about having skills. Nice. Yeah. And one of my favorite, he made me a knife for my birthday like mm -hmm. two years ago. Railroad spike knife. Yeah, out of a railroad spike. And it's razor it's really shirt. cool. It's awesome. Nice. So, Nice, anyway, nice, nice. Um, anything else that you want me to touch on? I mean, as far as stuff you've got going on? No, just <laughs> I'll push whatever about what about what I'm doing with Limitless is going to be the big would be a big thing. Yeah, um, I was going to talk to you about Matt and, and well, Faith. yeah, well, no, Matt and the, the extreme endurance. Is true, true north, north, true north endurance. Yeah, yeah, you can say I'm a part of that too. If you like. Okay, I was going to even talk to you. Do you think Matt would this would be something Matt would want to do? Okay, yeah. okay. I haven't really reached out to him. Yeah, yeah. pretty nice. Right? So, um, and we still have on your bio, uh, former head of extreme endurance for Spartan. Still, you're not. You're all good with saying that. No, okay. Yeah, former director of Extreme Endurance for Spartan. Yeah. Mark helped actually develop <clears throat> one of the arguably the most difficult endurance races on the planet. Would that be fair to say? Not arguably, <laughs> factually. <laughs> okay. So, um, do you know what an agogi event is? Have you ever heard of the agogi? Agogi, A-G-O-G-E. We'll, we'll get to that. We're going to talk about it anyway. Well, but, you'll catch it. All right. Okay. <clears throat> I said let's go. All right. 
Okay, that's done and out of the way. Okay, sound check, sound check. All right. Go Test, ahead. Testing, um, testing. Yeah, these, these microphones are really awesome, uh, but to get the, the best quality, you got to be between six and eight inches. If you get, if you get perfect. So, I like if you're back here, you can tell it's kind of arid, but up here, you get the nice resonating. I, I have to do this with everybody. I am your father. So. So, are your headphones too loud? Sometimes people like it. I can adjust that. That's about right there. Okay, good. I'm fine. So we are. Yay! See, we get that nice deep resonance, and then everybody will say you have a radio voice. So I have a face for radio. I like to say that. And so, anyway. So, okay, we're ready. Um, Do three, two, ready one. To do it. Here we yeah, go. Whenever. <laughs> All right. So here we go. Three. Hello and welcome to another edition of Operation Limitless. I'm Brett Lechtenberg. This is the show where we focus on how average people ended up achieving incredible triumphs through confidence, grit, determination, and creativity. The goal is to take the commonalities of these incredible human beings and build a model by which others can replicate and create a limitless life. And today on the King's Information Network, I have the extreme honor to talk with a good friend of mine, primitive skills and survival expert, mountaineering guide, outdoor educator, uh, and former director of extreme endurance for Spartan Race, uh, Mr. Mark Peterson. He's actually the guy I like to say makes Bear Grylls look like a cub. This is the man among men when it comes to outdoor skills. Mark, thank you for being here, baby. Uh, Mark, also, upcoming book, it's uh, in the process, The Warrior State of Mind. So we have got a lot of talk to talk about today. We've also got with us uh, producer extraordinaire, uh, Bad Brad Newfeld, who is going to be, be helping us out. He might even <laughs> chime in with a question for you, so don't be surprised. Excellent. Just a couple of minutes and get him to know a little bit and I'm already overwhelmed. So. <laughs> well, Mark, you, uh, I've had the honor of knowing you for a few years. Um, we met at a, because nobody else would let us sit at their table at an awards banquet. <laughs> yeah, we, were, we were at the farthest out table that there possibly was. And then I found myself surrounded by the, some of the greatest people I've ever met. <laughs> you and your wife, uh, Teresa, have been such great friends since that time. Yeah, it was, it was an interesting, fun evening. And I definitely didn't realize that at that point, all of a sudden, my kid would be having birthday parties at your house, right. and we would be teaching courses together, and you would be taking me on a journey through ice caverns in a in southern Utah and frozen water and yeah, <laughs> some yeah. of this stuff. We had to chip ice for that. That was a fun day. It was a that was one of the greatest experiences of my life. That was fun. Anyway, Mark, um, I would like to just kind of go through the journey of what it is to be Mark Peterson and how you have taken, you know, your life and are so big on creating skills and having skills and now teaching those skills in so many different ways to other yeah. people and really personify limitless. When I was actually writing the intro to this show that I just read, I put the word in grit specifically because I was thinking of you because when I think grit, I think Mark Peterson, hands down. And that, that says a lot because 
you know, you know, Bill and you know, Sal, and you, you know, a lot of the people that I've interviewed and they have grit, but I think of you, when that word comes up, it's your smiling face that shows up in my mind. Well, I hope <laughs> that that doesn't translate that I'm abrasive. No, <laughs> no, uh, not at all. So uh, Mark kind of, it, it's very few people these days that go through and they develop the kind of skills that you have and take this kind of thing on. And, and I just want you to share with the listeners Give us the story of how this all came about from your childhood and, and now, and we'll kind of walk through the journey over this next hour and, and how you're using these now to impact people's lives in a totally different way than I think most people would ever realize. Yeah, uh, wow, interesting. So I'll start with the fact that I've had uh, a tremendous amount of good luck in my life, but I've kind of centered everything that I do around this quote and I'm not sure where I picked this up, but it says that um, the talent creates opportunities. Mm -hmm. But then it goes on to say that enthusiasm not only creates its own talent or its own its own opportunities, but its own talents. Mm -hmm. So I'm sure I said that phrase wrong, but what that what that means to me is no matter what circumstances you're born into or given or presented with if you approach any uh area of life with enough enthusiasm you'll mm. you'll create the necessary talents which then give you the necessary opportunities to succeed so um the story of mark peterson is really just a story of i was in the right place at the right time and i was enthusiastic about it <laughs> Well, you had a, you had an interesting childhood. How many brothers and sisters do you have? Yeah, so I have uh, five sisters and four brothers. I had one brother die very, very early on uh, before he was even one years old. But so large family, 10 kids. My parents had to, had to some, I, don't, I still to this day don't know how my mom fed all of us. <laughs> I have no idea. My dad's uh, net income was never very high. And uh, we used to joke around that my mom didn't make peanut butter sandwiches. She would just wave the peanut butter knife. She'd dip the knife in peanut butter and then wave it over the bread, <laughs> kind of just to give it an essence of peanut butter. So, so we used to squeeze it called the essence of peanut butter sandwiches. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> and you, you told me one time that it was the fact that there was so much going on at your house that that was kind of escape for you to go outside. Yeah, so I, of all my brothers, I am not, I'm not the studious one. My family is, my dad had multiple doctor degrees. I have other brothers and sisters that have doctor degrees and multiple advanced degrees. And I, uh, I am not the, the studious one. I was the one, um, or let me say this, I was not the educated, formerly educated one. I was going to say. Uh, I'm very studious, I like, but I studied nature and I studied other, I studied success and I studied um, just basic skills. And I grew up outside. I was the kid that built the forts in the backyard. I was the kid that ran away more times than, <laughs> than, uh, than you should have. And, you know, when the box of cereal that I took with me would run out of food and I tried to scrounge for food, but when I, then I would just come back home. But I lived outside. If it, if it involved outside, I was outside. Bad weather was a friend of mine. I loved to be outside. If it was storming and raining and everybody else is closing the, the blinds or closing the, the, the windows, I'm, I'm going outside. Mark, where are you going? It's raining outside. 
<laughs> oh yeah, because that's that, that's just fun to me, and and that sort of grew why I was always uh, I was always comfortable in environments where everybody else was uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. I like the cold. I do, I like being outside when it's adverse weather conditions. Um, I I enjoyed being hungry and having to find food. I enjoyed being cold what can i do to get warm how can i build this shelter uh what do i need to change about what i'm doing how do i move to, to stay comfortable um for a good part of my younger years i lived in uh, a town right on the mississippi river a little town called quincy illinois mm -hmm. and uh i i somehow got myself a 14 foot flat bottom john boat and i would cruise up and down the mississippi river I mean, Mark Twain style. I was going to say you're the modern day Huck Finn. Yeah. Uh, it, I, I, I lived for fishing. I lived for survival. Um, every single one of my brothers and sisters could tell you a story of a day I brought a squirrel home and said, hey, try some of this meat. Or would kill a, a, a rabbit in the yard and, and cook it. Or, or, I'm, I'm very sure that, and especially if all my family members are listening to this story right now, and even high school friends, because that's just what we did. Mm -hmm. What are you going to do this weekend? We're going to go wilderness survival camping. What does that mean? Whatever you have in your pocket, that's what you've got to live on uh, and use. Those are your tools. Shoelaces for string, pocket knives for this and that and the other. I was the, I was the guy. I mean, this was before paracord became like the thing you made belts and bracelets and everything with. But I always had paracord on. <laughs> I, always had, I always had a pocket knife. I always had, you know, whatever. And so I think that, I'll tell you what that did for me. I don't know that I learned any skills doing that, Brent, mm -hmm. but it always gave me the confidence to know that wherever I was, mm -hmm. I was going to be okay because I didn't worry about, um, you know, oh gosh, what if there's no food where we're going? What if it rains where we're going? What if it's too cold where we're going? I was okay mm -hmm. because I knew all through my childhood that I've already overcome these. these this is no longer an obstacle. Right. And um, when you were when you were growing up, how much would you say you spent more time out during high school years or earlier than that? Because I know you became a pretty accomplished wrestler as well. So it wasn't like you spent all your time outside. Yeah, right? no, I, uh, I, I definitely wrestled in high school. I loved it and, and I did pretty well. Uh, you did better in, than pretty well. This was in California. Right. <laughs> but, but I wouldn't I wouldn't say that there was a, uh, a decade or a certain time period that was more or less outside. I was outside from, uh, so I was born in Cherry Hill, New Jersey. Mm. And behind our house, we had a big, huge woods. Mm -hmm. And I'm talking about when I could walk, I was in the woods. Um, and then obviously it went further and further the older I got because mostly just because I had more opportunities. Sure. I wasn't, uh, my parents were constantly calling my name to say, come back in. <laughs> I, cause I, cause I could go as far as I, I could hear their name. As long, as long as they could call me and I could come, then that's how far I could go. Right. And I stretched that for as <laughs> the best I could. Um, but then when I got older and in high school, I got a car, you know, uh, I drove my dad's old beat up 1978 Chevy three on a tree pickup <laughs> truck. And that thing could go way farther. Sound of the voice. Sure. And no cell phone. Oh yeah. 
<laughs> and my best buddy uh, in the whole world, Walt Brown, and I would do these ridiculous adventures. And I mean, we're talking about if Aaron Ralston gets any crap about not telling anybody where he was going, we purposely didn't tell people where we were going. <laughs> um, For people, you want to tell people who that is just in case? Aaron Ralston is uh, the the uh, Colorado resident that came into Utah to Blue John Canyon and was doing some canyoneering. And, and, and I will say this, Aaron Ralston is an amazing man. Mm -hmm. I met him. I, I appreciate him a lot. He's gotten a lot of guff for things that, that shouldn't, he never should have gotten crap for. Mm -hmm. um, everybody wants to say, well, he, he didn't tell anybody where he was going. I don't know how many people know some of these mountaineers that are out there. They don't have a network of a lot of friends. Right. I don't want to say it's the wrong way, but, but Brett, you and I have a lot of commonalities. And if mm -hmm. I was going to go do something that you had interest in too, you, I, no doubt I would tell you, mm -hmm. but some of some mountaineers, especially some of the extreme mountaineers, they just don't have like a black book of friends. They're going to tell people where they're going. They just don't. Sure. Um, because there's not that many like-minded people in their lives. Right. Just, that's just the way it is. Now that's a total generality and it doesn't apply to every circumstance, but it definitely applied to Aaron Ralston's circumstance. And he, he did tell people where he was going. It was just in a, in the cryptic things, but um, Aaron Rawson eventually, uh, after being pinned under the weight of a rock um, in uh, Blue John Canyon, ended up having to sever his his hand to 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 live and to escape. And if anybody has any doubt about that man's ability to endure pain and have grit and skill, think about this: he severed his right hand and then had to produce doing this all with his left hand mm -hmm. or you know his left hand having to break bones to give a space for the knife to go through because the knife couldn't cut through the bone and he's having to pluck every single sinew in order to, to break it with the, with the dull blade that he already dulled by trying to chip it through the, the, the sandstone of the canyon and then he tied every single knot and his tourniquet and repelled multiple repels at this point because he was pretty early on in the, in the Blue John Canyon. He still had the big drop, mm -hmm. which is many hundreds of feet with tying everything left-handed and then having to retrieve that rope and all this gear each time to do the next drop and the next drop and the next drop and then to hike all the way out. I don't care any, I don't know what other people want to say about, oh, you know, he was just a, a hapless adventurer <laughs> out there. Yeah, right. amazing skills, suspense. Mm -hmm. I have tremendous respect for But anyway, I know this is not a story about anyone else. No, but he was the subject of the movie 127 Hours. Uh, and the book. Affirmative. And his book, um, Between a Rock and a Hard Place, um, is a very, very good read for anybody. Sure. Business, it's got a lot of applicability to how to run a business, how to run a family, uh, how to just manage your own life mm -hmm. and uh, and overcome difficulties and this the, Aaron Ralston's gone on to be a tremendously accomplished mountaineer even without his right hand sure so uh, even much much further than he ever went before so tell us you've you've uh, done a lot of mountaineering let's talk where since we're on that topic let's talk about that for a second you yeah. have climbed some serious stuff yeah tell us about that and tell us about the one you may or may not climb and why Okay, so in, everybody likes to talk about the seven summits, and there are still arguments about which are the, the true uh, seven continental summits. Some people like to say that, you know, 
the Australian continent summit isn't a true um, summit. And, you know, look, if you list all seven summits, some of them are hard and some of them are not. Uh, some of them are just expensive. Vincent Massif in Antarctica is not by any means, I mean, I live in Utah and everybody climbs Mount Timpanogos here. And Timpanogos is a harder climb than Vincent Massif in every, in every single way. Uh, Vincent Massif is technical because it's rope and glaciers and all that, but and mm -hmm. you do have to have uh, a, a good degree of, of knowledge. But as far as physicality, mm -hmm. you can climb, if you can climb Timpanogos, you can do it. You have to have a lot of money, though. Right. Because Vincent Massif is is an expensive peak to climb, mostly just because of the transportation and the fact that you're in Antarctica and permitting and guiding services, and you're just not going to wander sure. wander up to the trail and, and get your way. But I've had the rare opportunity of being able to climb whatever your definition of the seven continents are, six of those seven continents. And I have not climbed Everest. And... We were talking about that before the show. There, there's been times you've thought about doing it, I think, and times where you've said, I'm not going to do it. Um, but I, I, if you're willing to share, why, why have you decided at this point it's just not worth it to you? So it is, it's not that Everest isn't an amazing accomplishment, because it is. And every single one of your audience that's listening to this now and thinking that I got on, on some kind of a moral soapbox about uh, the completely degenerate uh, government uh, permitting process that there is for climbing Everest and whatever anybody might think about. I'm not trying to take away anybody's accomplishments. Of course not. No, I, I don't. By no means. Um, you know, I, I am not a conspiracy theorist in, in this regard, and I think that anybody who's climbed Everest deserves every bit of the accolades of saying it. It wasn't for me, though, because uh, I went to base camp. I, I, I hiked to, through Nepal, and I got to base camp, and I really didn't uh, enjoyed the experience up until I saw what I saw. Mm -hmm. And in America, there's permitting processes. I mean, this is your hunting licenses, for instance. They base how many deer tags they give on a, a census of the deer from the year previous. Mm -hmm. They know they have X amount of bucks, X amount of does, X size of the herd in certain areas and they issue tags ge geographically based on what the uh the current situation is by so they don't just wipe out all of the the deer population or weaken it to the point where it becomes um sick and then creates other issues mountains are the same way there is an ecosystem there that can be damaged mm -hmm. and uh unfortunately whoever those government agencies are that are in charge of this and I'm, i don't know who they are and I don't know the people's names or anything like that, but they didn't ever consider what's the impact of how many climbers, how much trash, how much fecal matter is produced, how much gear, how many oxygen tanks, uh, and even just how many people can walk on a glacier or a snow bridge or a trail before it just becomes unstable. Mm -hmm. I mean, look at what's happening in the news now with how many people are dying on Everest and it has nothing to do with they're not being prepared for the conditions or they're not physically fit or people are, the people that fall off the trail because there's too many people on the trail should at least be an indicator that something's wrong here. Right. Now I get, I get it for all the people that are out there saying, yeah, but there's a very limited amount of time and sometimes weather conditions. And then when the weather conditions are perfect, that's when everybody rushes up. And I say, yes, I know. 
but that's when it needs to be regulated the most. Right. So anyway, I just discovered when I was at base camp that the trash and the attitudes and and all of that is is was just something I didn't want to be part of. That plus I saw, and of course this was late '90s, early 2000s. I saw just a crazy influx of you know dot com companies. CEOs, presidents of companies that just started that wanted to gain credibility just in the business world by saying, hey, I'm the CEO of something, something, something.com and check me out. I've climbed Everest. How did you climb Everest? Well, I'm fit enough to run a marathon and I had a million dollars. Right. I just paid somebody to carry my gear up, to shorten me up. I used oxygen the whole time. I don't know how to tie a bowling. I don't know what a figure eight knot is because they tied me in. They, they did everything for me. Uh, yes, I had to sleep in a tent and, and on a pad, but I made sure that my Sherpas carried me a three-inch foam pad instead of the whatever. And so I just had this, I had these visions of, of kind of a depleted honor system for anybody who had climbed Everest. So that was, and again, I, this is all personal. Mm -hmm. I'm on my own little soapbox here, and I'm not saying it's right or wrong. No. I'm just saying that's why I made that decision. Those were the decisions that I made. So I, at, that, at the time that I had the opportunity and the funding mm -hmm. to climb Everest, I decided for whatever moral reasons that I had, I didn't want to do it. However, I realized that not getting any younger and I'm, I'm hopeful of not being part of that paradigm, but being part of the change of the paradigm. So uh, when I do Everest, so your listeners are here. <laughs> You're going to do it. I'm going to do it. Um, I want to be part of changing the thought process behind how things are being done. And maybe even being part of the cleanup. Maybe even being part of the, 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 the moral shift, as, as you will. Mm -hmm. uh, I also just wanted to say this one thing. I'm, I'm huge against slavery. Um, mm. I'm a big follower of you know those that are out combating slavery mm -hmm. right now, like Operation Underground Railroad, yep. Ballard's group, and the things that they do. Uh, of course, I'm not at all comparing uh, Sherpa slavery to child um, slavery because it's a totally different thing. Yes. But slavery is slavery, mm -hmm. and anybody who ever goes to um, to Nepal and looks at the way the Sherpas live and the way they're being treated. It's slavery in every definition of the word. Um, they are not free to make their own choices, if you know what I mean. Yep. So that said, I want to be part of, uh, of that change if I can. And that sounds like the Mark Peterson I know for sure. <laughs> um, before we take a break, Mark, I, I ask some same questions of everybody. And this is one of them. What, do you, what is the key to your self-confidence? What do you think is the, where does it come from? Does it come from your training? Does it come from lessons you learned from your parents? Everybody seems to be a little bit different of where it comes from. Where does your self-confidence come from and why? Well, that's a good question. Um, most of your listeners will know of, uh, of a guy named Bill Phillips, and he's famous for, you know, he was the author mm -hmm. of Body for Life and, yep. uh, and, and the founder of EAS, and he did a tremendous, a tremendous job with that. He's famous for a phrase that he used to say, how do you build character? Mm -hmm. characters built by making little promises to yourself honoring self-promise is one of his big things yeah and keeping them, right make mm -hmm. little promises to yourself and keep them 
I don't think there's any better definition to how you build self-confidence. You make little promises to yourself mm-hmm. and then you keep it. Because if I say to myself, okay, I have this fear of, of um, public speaking, mm-hmm. which I don't because I talk way too much and you're going to <laughs> you're gonna have to shut it down. But let's just say I have this fear of public speaking. But I promise to myself in a given day that I'm going to introduce myself to five new people. Mm-hmm. I'm going to look them in the eye. I'm going to shake them in the, in the hand. But if I don't do that, I didn't contribute to the overcoming my self-confidence mm-hmm. or, or gaining new self-confidence. So you just make these little promises to yourself and you keep them. For me, early on, I gained self-confidence in the ways that I told you about just getting outside. Mm-hmm. People who are afraid of cold, you have to be cold to understand that it's not uh, it's not a big fear. I know my wife, who's listening to this probably, is going to say, well, yeah, Mark, well, why don't you jump in the shark-filled waters then? Because I'm definitely a French shark, so I had a bad experience once when I was a kid. And, um, and you should interview Walt, my buddy Walt Brown after this, because he can tell you all about that experience. <laughs> down against out of Mexico, where we almost got killed by a shark. But, um, so, but the reality of it is, um, I'm making steps in various ways, and different, and everybody's bad on different things. Mm-hmm. But my self-confidence comes from promises that I kept to myself to, to get out of it, to, to step out of whatever it was I was afraid of at the time. Yeah. So, I think and, it, and, and, I, and I talk about that in that thing you, you, you said before, you were talking about the whole backpack of fear thing, right? Mm-hmm. And so one of the things I do in some of the classes that I teach is I talk about when we backpack or go backpacking or go on an expedition or go on a mountaineering trip, we pack our fears with us. Right. We do that with anything we do. Like, let's say you take on a new job. You arrive to the new job with a box of your fears and you start unpacking them. Uh, and and they, they, they show up in various ways. So for backpacking, and I use the example of when I hiked the Appalachian Trail, Mm-hmm. I, what I started out with and what I ended up with, completely different gear lists. What I started out with was, oh my gosh, I, when am I going to find food? How am I going to find food? Where am I going to find light? How often am I going to? I went with, I don't know, eight flashlights of various <laughs> types. Because, you know, you got the flashlight, you got a headlamp, you got the ones that fit on your zipper, you got the kind that are on the end of a compass, you got the, time, the kind that, I mean, I just, if I counted it all up, I had like eight flashlights. And what was it? Because I was afraid of the dark, apparently. <laughs> um, and I, I was afraid of, of not getting food because I had, well, why at the end, of, why did I arrive to every single town with all this extra food? And so, and I could go down the list of all the things you people end up packing. But then mm-hmm. you saw what I ended up with. My backpack weighed less than 30 pounds with food and with water. And I didn't have a duplicate anything. I didn't have mittens because I knew that my wool socks made great mittens. I only had one uh, headlamp and everybody was, was like, well, you know, what did you do when it got dark? I, I went to sleep. <laughs> I, if it's too dark to hike, then obviously I'm not hiking. Right. And what did you do when you got cold? Well, I got up and started walking because uh, I realized that, you know, I didn't need all these things. So mm-hmm. I think self-confidence a lot of times comes from facing your fears, making little promises to yourself that you're going to overcome that thing and then overcome that thing. Yeah. I think it, 
exactly what you just said is what we teach in Limitless, the personal confidence model. Because what you just said is exactly that positive self-talk, determine exactly what the cause of the problem is, break it down to its smallest details, the things you have direct control over, and then just do them until they're a reflex. Right. Right. And that's exactly what you just explained <laughs> is, is that in a nutshell. I think that's awesome. Well, we're going to take a quick break here, a little pause for the cause, and then we will be back with Bad Brad and the amazing Mark Peterson. Be right back. Okay. <laughs> <coughs> yeah, you rock, Mark. <laughs> is that okay? Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. You know where it is? Uh, no, that's okay. Turn right all the way to the end down there by the glass door. Make it right. Okay. <coughs> He's a stud. <laughs> so I like when me. <laughs> me and Sal and Bill are all together teaching. It's just like. It's oh, and your mastermind group must be intense. <laughs> it's a one up group almost in the most positive yeah. sense of the way. Have you ever done this? No, I haven't. No, I, oh, I have. How do you do it? Let's do it. Yeah. Right. And it's just, you know, we went oh. out to do, we went out to do a photo shoot, our first photo shoot. And we were just going to go get some images on some rocks and go to, set up a gun sh shooting scenario and some other things and and we get there and mark's like scenarios let's just do it so we all ended up repelling that day mm -hmm. and we ended up at the ski jump and we ended up with guns out and drawn it was uh that was the day my mom died we were up on the mountain and i was with those guys yes yeah. it, it was it was good there was no place i'd rather been at that moment than with, with these guys because they're just mm -hmm. You can't help but just be like inspired right. yeah. when you got people around you like that, yeah. right? <clears throat> That's awesome. And I have no idea where we're time. Usually I look at my little clock here and I try and keep the our time. Oh, okay. 27. 2701. Yeah. So that was 27 minutes? Mm -hmm. Wow. More like, than you thought or less than <laughs> yeah, you thought? Yeah, way, way more than I thought. <laughs> Sometimes it goes, yeah, it's, it goes both ways on those days where you, uh, anyway, it, it's fun to have a show where you have multiple people on. Those are my, those are my favorite. But when you're doing a solo show, that's when you're thinking, oh man, I've got three hours of material. I'm good. And you do all your material and then you look over, I've still got 22 minutes left. What am I going to do? Yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. You have to dig deep. <laughs> so. So anyway, oh, I usually ask you this. Any question you think would be that we haven't? I mean, we're going to cover more here, but if something comes to mind, just write it down. So I'll get it yeah, in the I, third okay, part of the show. Yeah, because uh, yeah, let's do that. Okay, let's do that. Just let me know when you're ready. All right, here we go. Come on, baby. All right, three, two, and we're back. I'm here with Mark Peterson, outdoor adventure. Extra, adventure extraordinary. We'll just keep it at that for the moment. And Mark, again, thanks for being here. It's it's great to sit here and, and chat with you for a little bit and get this on on audio and on video for all posterity. Thank you. I, I prefer adventure freak. Adventure freak. Okay. I'll make sure I include the word adventure, not just the last part. <laughs> uh, Mark, I want to uh, um, I want to talk a little bit. There's some that you haven't talked about actually in a while. You're a cancer survivor. 
I am, yes. Yeah, and uh, multiple cancers. And it led you to a career for a while with Spartan mm -hmm. and developing quite possibly the most, and maybe definitely the most grueling adventure uh, race on the face of the planet. And, okay, I, and so, I, so I want to clear all that up, but I want to talk about that a little bit. Yeah, excellent, excellent, yeah. And so so let, go from wherever. All right, so <laughs> from, from that point, I guess basically we're trying to figure out how we can connect dots on those two things. The reality of it is, um, while I've done a lot of physical things, I let myself, uh, I let myself get into a physical condition that wasn't quite right. Mm -hmm. And when I was diagnosed with cancer, one of the things that I knew I had to do was get back in shape. Mm -hmm. And I think people excel at achieving goals that have a deadline, mm -hmm. right? So I gave myself a deadline. I'm going to run this Spartan race. I'm going to do this trifecta thing that Spartan has. And to that point, you just to make sure everybody understands, you'd never done a Spartan race, correct? Correct. Knew what it was, but hadn't done it. Had some friends who kind of told you about it. Is that right? right? So yeah. my good buddy Dave Baker and his son, Brandon Baker and um, my son Connor, we all ran the Malibu Spartan Race, Spartan Race December 2013 together. That was our first mm -hmm. uh, Spartan Race. And previous to that, Brandon, Dave, and, and Connor and I, we'd all run you know half marathons, marathon, all in the effort of I gotta I gotta change my health. Sure. And we came up, we came across this little thing. Uh, called the Spartan Race, which uh, is an absolutely, I'm not a, I'm not a current employee of Spartan right. Race anymore, right. but I have absolutely nothing bad to say about, about Joe Senna and what he built mm -hmm. and what he did. But one of the events, and this is not about racing, mm -hmm. is called an agogi, spelled A-G-O-G-E. Mm -hmm. In ancient Greece, uh, the agogi was what was the school of warriors, if you will. Mm -hmm. So if uh, if, a, if a Spartan uh, family had a, had a boy at age seven, that young man would be taken away from his family and given up willingly. I mean, the moms were every bit as part as raising the warrior culture in Sparta as, as, were, as were the men. Mm -hmm. uh, they knew their boys had to be prepared for that. So from birth, they were prepared for going off to this school called the Agogi to Kryptea, which is a Greek word for basically policemen or enforcers or educators. Um, and unfortunately, the, the word means all of those things. But the, the Kryptea would take that boy away and return that boy at age 18 as a warrior for the Spartan culture or not. Mm -hmm. If the boy didn't come back, he didn't pass the agogi. End of story. Passing the agogi meant you lived through it right. and that you were able to master all the skills and you know obviously uh the sparta culture was the warring culture uh in in anywhere <laughs> i would put them up against any that group uh pound for pound warrior for warrior where however you want to compare it mm -hmm. uh was the was the most successful warrior culture uh, on the planet Mm -hmm. uh, and and I've studied Genghis Khan and I've studied uh, other warrior cultures, Vikings and, and all that. No one beats the story of 300 warriors right. at the Battle of Thermopylae where they had to basically uh, hold off the entire Persian army, millions right. of Persians uh, right. attacking them. So 
anyway, Joe DeSanto came up with this amazing uh, idea, and he he had he had help, and he had some really good help, and, and unfortunately, there's too many names to name, but um, it was an amazing idea that was come up with. Let's because we embody everything about Spartan culture, right? Mm-hmm. Grit and the races are tough, and we put people through obstacles, and they have to overcome things, and they have to learn things, and um, and they have this uh, this platform called Hurricane Heat, which is kind of kind of a different thing. It's not a race, but it's uh, an event uh, where you where you teach uh, grit and get to use uh, discipline and and uh, team building skills and personal integrity to get through. And then you have so the, this event called the Agogi is was basically let's put these people through sixty hours of what would a gogi have been it's a school mm-hmm. so it's going to be tough it's going to be hard but let's teach things let's teach how to build a fire without uh matches let's let's teach how to walk across coals let's teach how to uh descend from this cliff using a webbing harness that you tied yourself you want to get scared <laughs> you've been repelling with me brad mm-hmm. And you had a harness, right? And you had a helmet, right? And you had a mechanical figure eight device, and you had carabiners, all which were engineered and designed by you know the best companies in the world, <laughs> like Petzl and Black Diamond and all these other companies that that do this for a living. Now I'm going to teach you how to tie a harness out of one inch webbing, and you're going to descend this cliff. Completely different mindset. Mm-hmm. You're trusting. It's like the, it's like the being in the military when I was in the, when I was in the Army Airborne. We had to we had to pack our own parachutes. I was fine jumping out of the plane the first time because I didn't pack my own parachute. The bat the the the, uh, the master did. The bat master did. Right. And so no, I the shoot master. I didn't have a problem with that because I knew he knew what he was doing. But now I'm packing my own chute, and I'm not. that was when I was absolutely terrified. I'm sure. And so when you put when you put. Um, these individuals together and you put them through this agogi event where they are being pushed to their physical limits. They're being challenged to develop teamwork, to work with people that they, they don't know, they don't trust, that they haven't seen before. And you're being exposed to uh, now having to have mandatory skills. Like you have to show up knowing how to tie certain knots, knowing how to use certain pieces of your equipment that you brought with you. Um, and you, what we what we discover is you come out the other side of this event a completely different person, a completely different person. Mm-hmm. Um, one of these events, there was a uh, a, a great guy, unbelievable guy, um, but he was going through divorce, and at the end of the event was kind of like hours within his uh, the time that his time period of waiting or whatever was over, and he was going to be divorced. He realized throughout the event that he wasn't as good of a team player as he thought he was. A team, even just a member of the team. Mm-hmm. So he called it off and, and saved his marriage. I've seen Navy SEALs who go through budge training fail this event. But I've seen single stay-at-home moms pass. I've seen accountants mm-hmm. who've never, never done anything physical in their life but maybe a 5K or, or a Spartan race show up to this thing and they have so much intestinal fortitude and grit that they're able to get through it when a Navy SEAL came mm-hmm. or an Army Ranger. I've seen that happen too. And I've seen people come to these events ripped, 
chisel. They take their shirts off to put on the event shirt, right? And they're, you know, flexing their guns and they don't make it. They don't make it because it's not about physicality and it's not about skill either. And it's, it's not about any of those things. It is simply about grit. How much can you take and keep going? And how long did it take you guys to develop this kind of start to finish? So it had some, it had some iterations. Um, the very first one was done with uh, West Point cadets because we wanted to see if any, if any military body is training their groups to be prepared for resiliency in an event like this. It should be the, it should be the West Point cadets. And then we took some of what we learned from that and uh, evolved it into some other different things. The very first one was in the winter uh, in um, a very, very cold uh, winter in Vermont on, on, the, on Riverside Farm, uh, where, which is Joe DeSena and Courtney's farm. And they, um, it, it was kind of like the beginning of the, of the beginning. And there, uh, there's an event going on uh, probably right now as we speak, it started uh, in Greece, which is cool that it's gone back to Sparta. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, it's happening at the Isle of Naxos uh, right now. And I think there's a ridiculous amount of people, many of them, my very, very dear, probably my, most of my dearest friends are there right now going through this event. And um, it's changed a lot over time. Every event morphs into just a little bit better, a little bit better, and a little bit better. Uh, looking back on some of the earlier events and some of the, some of the gear requirements, just this will make you laugh. Uh, this will make both of you laugh because some of the early requirements were like bring a sleeping bag oh gosh. <laughs> and a sleeping pad, kind of like a teaser, like you're going to sleep uh, during that 60 hours. There's no sleep. Um, and, and sometimes when we did introduce sleeping, it was, it was to break people because if you've ever gotten one hour of sleep when you need 12, right. it, it'll break you to wake up and have to, Put your mind back together again. You're all groggy and you're sleeping. Your body got just enough sleep to tease you. I mean, it's 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 like giving somebody who's addicted to sugar like one gummy bear <laughs> <laughs> when they're really, really, really hungry. And so it's not. Trust me, you just pass the gum pass on the gummy bear because it'll be better for you if you did eat it than if you did. And so that's kind of what happens during these goji events. But uh, uh, yeah, the the evolution of the event has changed. Um, a lot of the time and I think it'll continue to change and you know I'm not part of it anymore I'm still following sure uh, actively uh, and I'm still very very good friends with all the, the people that are still producing it but I'm I, I'm not part of that right now because I'm doing my own thing sure so absolutely and you went through the event yourself so I was a participant in the second event and um, and this is where the Mark Peterson foot yeah the famous, came with, the famous uh, broken foot story uh, so we're this is a great story. So I want you to tell it what we're a little bit, I just want to make sure we stay in our time frame. but this personifies grit. <laughs> okay. So I'll, I'll, I'll try to shorten it up as, as best I can. So somewhere around hour 20 of Adobe O2, I was carrying my pack plus the weight of another person's pack. Which was about how much? About 65 pounds per pack. So plus my body weight, you know, mm-hmm. I, I weigh over 200 pounds. I'm just going to leave it right there, over 200 pounds. <laughs> And you look svelte to me. Thank you. Thank you. And so you're, it was dark and we were on uh, a part of the route called blood Root mountain, which Mm -hmm. is in any Vermont endurance event, 
just Google blood route mounting, you'll see it in 500 mile races, 100 mile races, 50 mile races, bike races, uh, endurance challenges. You'll see it listed as, in terms of hushed and reverent tones, uh, often as just one of the most brutal grit um, playgrounds that there is. And anyway, it's very rocky. It's uh, I know that I'm trying to keep this story somewhat short, but I, I came off of a rock, I stepped off of a rock, and audibly and physically knew I had broken my foot, um, my right foot. And when there was a, we tested a couple miles to go, so I heel walked it the whole way in absolute pain. Somebody noticed that and took the pack, the other pack from me. So I was only carrying my own pack. And got to the top where we were all kind of uh, rallying. And for, for whatever reason, I was, I was in charge of a small group of people. And like I said, I'm the leader or group leader. But they said, okay, you're in charge of that group, you're in charge of that group. So I was in charge of this group of people. And after I found out that they were all together, mm -hmm. I secluded myself for just a second because I thought it was over. I mean, I, I honestly thought I was about to have to tell medical that I'd broken my foot. But I wanted to give myself one little quick peek <laughs> at it first even though whatever and i took my boot off and i want to i want to interject here you're a trained army medic yeah. <laughs> so you know what hurt is yeah. <laughs> and injured is the difference between hurt and injured yeah so com combat i was an army combat medic um and so i took my boot off which i knew i had a very limited amount of time that i was going to be able to put my foot back into the boot because mm -hmm. it started swelling immediately mm -hmm. so I, I i didn't have to look at it long i i pulled my boot off and my I could visibly see that my first metatarsal was completely broken, all the way through, completely broken, and disconnected from its rear cartilage. So my my big toe is just flopping; it's just all on its own. I would try to tense it, and it would just flop. Um, and so, at one small part of the back part of the metatarsal was poking through the skin, not to where the whole bone was out, but enough to con consider it a, a compound fracture. And so I knew, okay, this is done. I put my boot back on as tight as I possibly could. I put an extra pair of socks on also. And I, and I pulled my boot laces as tight as I possibly could. And I went on. Now, there's reasons why I went on. I'm not going to explain it all because of the shortest of time. But I still have 40 hours of the event to go through. And so what I decided to do, what, and, and really, not really what I decided to do, but just what happened is I... I, when I got back to my team, I noticed one guy's headlamp was about out. So I said, hey, man, when's the last time you changed your batteries? Let's, let's look at that. Because, you know, when you're sitting in a group and there's 12 headlamps going on, and you can still see, you don't really realize your headlamp is, is, is out. So, and then I asked another person, hey, when's the last time you ate something? Hey, when's the last time you drank something to another person? Hey, let's look at your pack strap. It looks like it's hanging weird. Hey, how are you feeling? How are you doing? And, and talk to me about this. Some people were you know, very emotional at this point. Blood Root Mountain does that for people. Mm -hmm. and, and so on and so on and so on and so on. And as I went through the group, I realized by the time I had checked on everybody else's needs, I no longer felt the pain because it wasn't about me anymore. Mm -hmm. And so the rest of the 40 hours was I just decided that's how I'm going to get through this. I'm going to focus on everybody else. Can I help you with your pack? Hey, here's your trekking poles. Hey, you dropped this. Hey, whatever it is. And so all of a sudden, the event was over. And I realized 
I, I have made it through. Now, I will tell you, when it was over and my mind shifted from it's over, I can relax now, my foot killed me. <laughs> I mean, it was really painful, uh, immediately painful, almost to the point where I didn't feel like I could drive home to the hotel. I almost used one of the ambulances that was on site to take me to the hospital right then. And my wife would have been very happy had I done that. But I didn't. And I went to the hotel and I got on the plane the next day and I went home and then I went to the And that is, uh, <laughs> that's, that's a lot of grit and, and maybe a, a little mentally disturbed. I'm not, I'm not sure. <laughs> Certainly. I don't, and listen, listen for everybody that's listening to this story. I don't tell that because I think I'm a hero. I don't tell that because I think everybody else should do that. I would absolutely recommend people stop when they're injured mm-hmm. and come back and do it another day. Because it took years for me to even be able to walk again, Brett. You know that. Right. How many times how long did you see me in a boot cast? Oh, yeah. Uh, how long was I on that knee scooter thing? How many surgeries did I have? I mean, one of the people who went through that event with me, uh, dear, dear friend Marty Park, came, oh, yeah. he came to my house the day or two before Christmas to because that's when one of my surgeries had happened. Mm-hmm. And he just he just stayed at my house and did whatever I couldn't do. And it was amazing. He shoveled the, the walks and snow, and you know, he was, he, he's just, he, but, but that speaks a little bit to the family that you create when you do these events, also. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you go through something like that, those that go through it with you aren't just participants anymore, they're your family. And by every means and measures, I would take a bullet from my car. Right. Well, uh, we're going to take a quick break right there, and then we're going to come back and, uh, and share a little bit with more with Mark before we wrap up. So we'll be back in just a couple of minutes. Yeah, it was almost 19 minutes. <laughs> How much time do we actually have left? Uh, oh, you're making me do math again. <laughs> just kidding. Like, it looks like seven minutes left. Yeah. <laughs> so if, we're, you're trying, if you're trying to keep it under an hour. Yeah, about 10 minutes. Okay. So that's the max. Um, if you want to keep it under an hour, because the part of that story, but the, the note he's got, a, he had a note in his pocket mm-hmm. with the people that had given you their encouragement, mm-hmm. and that, that part well, of the story that you that you, you skipped, but that was yeah. that's hugely powerful. We, sure, well, we, at some other time, we'll maybe we'll come back and we'll, we'll talk about that. But again. if you're going to ask me to talk about Warrior State of Mind, the book, yeah, um, I could pull that thing in okay yeah why don't you do that let's do that that's good let's do that um because that was the only thing i was going to say let's get the book plugged yeah so i'm just going to ask a couple questions you know how did you find self-confidence uh your favorite motivational quote a couple of those things then we'll just talk about the book and and kind of bring that in i I, because i mean you've heard bill and mark Mm -hmm. and sal's you know their stories i want to get everybody in the studio at one point Mm -hmm. talking about how they became who they are got it and there'd be things like this yeah i mean you're starting to be able to see yes i I I think yes so anyway so i'm ready when you are okay here we go three all right welcome back we're here with mark peterson the uh outdoor freak as he calls himself outdoor adventure freak yeah okay so um We've only got a few minutes left. We're going to wrap up and we're going to talk about your book and, and some of that and how people can be drawn into your world, okay. which I think is in everybody's best interest, to be honest. But I have a couple of questions, standard questions. Tell me uh, how you define 
self-confidence. How do, how do you define that for you? The absence of fear. The absence of fear. Okay. And if someone needed a boost of self-confidence, motivation, inspiration, what would be your message to that person? Because that's what this, you know, our limitless events and, and this is kind of the essence. How do we, what would be your message? Okay. So you, I, 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 I cheated I looked a little bit on your script there and you're going to ask me what my favorite quote is in a minute. Yeah. I, so, well, I sent you the, I sent you that question. So I'm going <laughs> so to, I'm going to tell you that in, to, to best answer your question is a quote is something somebody else said. Mm -hmm. I don't think somebody else can motivate you. I think you have to motivate you. So I always use the phrase these that that self-confidence and, and overcoming anything starts with these three ingredients. Start where you are, use what you have, do what you can. That's it. Perfect. So because if I am if I'm gonna quote Bruce Lee, you know, and some, and I love Bruce Lee, and he's one of my favorite quarters, or if I use, you know, Dickens, or if I go into C.S. Lewis, or if I start quoting Socrates, or something, they've said amazing things, because they were amazing people, but you know what, Brett, you've said amazing things, because you're an amazing person, everybody listening to this is an amazing person, mm -hmm. if they just apply what they already know, so that's why I always say, oh, you know, people always say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start this diet, tomorrow or i'm going to start this workout plan when i've lost 10 pounds or i'm going to start training for and i hear this all the time because people are like that how do you how do you train for it you just start training right i don't care what you're going to do i don't care if you mountain bike i don't care if you walk i don't care if you run i don't care if you put on a on a weighted backpack or, or, or go do a ruck uh or or if you start climbing a mountain or whatever do something but what, what i mean by that is start right where you are if you're going to start your 5K run by walking down to the corner, if you start right now, you, your, your run is already going to be immediately shorter because whatever the distance is between you and the corner. Right. And if you, if you say, yeah, I'm going to start this workout plan because Christmas is coming and my wife's going to buy me this really cool you know, weight set or whatever it is. Well, okay, great. Until you buy the weight set, do you have anything heavy at all at your house? Do you have a bag of sand, an old bag of concrete? Do you have an old pipe? I mean, can you do push-ups? Right. Can you do a pull-up? Do you have a tree branch? Do you have a park anywhere near you? Just go do bear crawls. Go do burpees, for goodness sakes. Start somewhere, and it's right now. It's right here where you are. And use what you already have. Now, I was using physical examples, but what about if you you use, you, you were saying something about confidence. What if you don't have that much confidence? Use what you do have. Mm -hmm. What if I don't have that much intelligence? Use what you do have. What if I don't have a diet plan? Use what you do have. I promise you, I could put a plate of food in front of you that's healthy and a plate of food in front of you that's not so healthy. And you can tell me the difference of which one you should be eating without me, without you being a nutritionist. Right. <laughs> and would, would that be safe to say? So yeah, you don't absolutely. need the diet book to tell you what's healthy and what's not healthy. You probably already know. Right. You just don't want to admit that you already know that. <laughs> and then the last ingredient is do what you can. And this is what I tell people all the time. They're training for hurricane heats or Spartan events or agogis or if they're mountaineering, if they're on one of my mountaineering trips because I, I have a minimum physical requirement for that. If they can do three push-ups, then you better do three push-ups. Because that's do what you can. Right. And then do three more. 
and then do three more and then do three more. Because if you can do three push-ups and you're only doing two, you're never going to get to four. Right. It's, it's, math doesn't work that way. It's, <laughs> right. it's not going to happen. And so I always, so let me say it again so that everybody who's listening can catch this because I know we're short on time. And this is also my favorite quote. Okay. Mm-hmm. It is start where you are, use what you have, do what you can. Perfect. I think Love that's it. outstanding. So let's talk about how people can get into your world. Maybe they want to come on a retreat. Okay. Maybe they want to come to a limitless event. Maybe they want to learn how to forge a knife and out of a railroad spike, like oh, the one you made for me. How yeah. do they reach you? How do they come into your world? And I want you to talk a little bit about what's what's the what's coming with the Warrior State of Mind book. Okay, gotcha. So um, if anybody wants to connect with me, I'm sure after this uh, interview, there's going to be Facebook posts, links to the limitless, um, mm-hmm. links to whatever. Uh, www.outdooradventureretreats.com is also there. Um, th- that's our platform for uh, any of the adventures that we do, canyoneering, mountaineering, any of the guiding services, uh, survival classes, black swimming classes, any of those kind of things. And, and by the way, I, all of those things wrapped up into one thing just mean I just think people should do stuff. Right. I, I just think people <laughs> should do stuff and not, not necessarily go play video game or go watch a movie or whatever. Uh, you know, I don't, I'm not the best blacksmith in the world, but I probably brought more new blacksmiths into the world than some of the experts that are out there on forging fire or whatever, or whatever those are, mm-hmm. because they're not teaching it to other people. Maybe they are, but I, I don't see it. So uh, I, whatever I know, I'm happy to share with other people because I want, if I feel like if I know it, um, then I'm, then I'm feel blessed. And then other people should know it. I love to teach blacksmithing. I'd love to teach outdoor survival. There's just something really cool that happens when someone lights a fire from something that they did not have with them, like a match mm-hmm. or a can of Boy Scout water and a lighter. Um, if, they, if they all of a sudden realize everything they need to provide heat for themselves is somewhere out there and all they have to do is source it and put it together in the right components and they can do this, uh, at the last limit of the class, mm-hmm. uh, Joe Belliston started fire, and we gave him that award afterwards for the Spark Award, right? Because he was so enthusiastic about it, he, he couldn't wait to show everybody else around him, look at what look at what just happened, right? And I realized it's this really simple chemical and and, uh, and physiological change that happened, but it's a magic in in people's lives in the confidence that they get that I no longer have to be afraid of being cold. I know how to start. Yep. That's just cool. Yep. Absolutely. So tell us about the book. So what's, what's coming and a lot of what, what a lot of what we've been talking about, uh, Brett, is is a concept that to get through life, any obstacle that we face, no matter what it is, financial, physical, emotional, social, whatever the obstacle is, even just I'm having trouble in communicating in my marriage, you can overcome those things with the state of mind that a warrior has. And there's a local group here in Utah called the Warrior State of Mind. Um, and it is, uh, it's just a group of people who not only do obstacle course races and hikes and workshops, but they just, they're a family of warriors mm-hmm. and whatever that mindset means, the Warrior State of Mind. And ironically, it was that group that I had a list of those, some of those um, names. When I broke my foot, I had, I, I took this out of the story 
uh, to shorten it up, but I, I had a list of some of those people that had sponsored me to go to that event. Mm -hmm. And in looking at that list, as I was putting my boot back on, I realized these are people who I could not let down. These are people who I could get. I knew when I realized that my foot was broken, that I was going to have to have surgery. I knew But I knew also that I was either going to come home as a successful uh, completer of the adogi on their behalf, or I was going to come home as a failure. Either way, the surgery was going to have to happen. So I was going to be sitting there in a surgical bed post-surgery, either as a successful person or as a failure. I only, that was it. Those were the only two choices. Mm -hmm. So I've, over the years, I've collected personal stories from this group of people who have overcome extraordinary obstacles by applying a warrior mindset. And I wrote a book. It's not out yet. It's still, it's still in, in its workings called The Warrior State of Mind. It's not about the group. It's not about racing. It's not about Spartan races or obstacle courses or whatever. It's about people. And it's about people applying a mindset that a warrior would have. And I say this all the time to people who ask, what is a warrior state of mind? I'm like, okay, so let's say you have a target down range. What does a warrior do? He pulls out a weapon that he's been trained on, that he's practiced on, that is loaded, mm -hmm. and he fires on that target or that enemy or that problem or that whatever it is. So if you have a problem, at, let, let, let's just say you have a financial problem and you, you make enough money, but you just can't save and you're not investing and you're living paycheck to paycheck and you know any given day you lose your job, your, your life is over, right? Because how many people listening to this right now are in that place? Mm -hmm. How do you overcome that? Well, you definitely don't overcome it by being a victim. Oh, I need to declare bankruptcy or I need to do whatever because that's, that's the victim mentality. I want the warrior mentality that says, I can overcome this. I can train for this. I can create a budget. I can live within that budget. I can work extra hours. I can do extra things. I can spend less. I can live on less. It's exactly like that whole thing about fears. How many things in our home do we have because we're afraid of it? And it's really just compensating for some kind of a fear. Can we, can we overcome it? So anyway, the book is about people who have overcome some, but it's crazy. <laughs> it's, it's crazy, some of the stuff people has, have, that have used as examples by their permission. Mm -hmm. And sure. I, can't, I can't wait for the book to get out, uh, if nothing more than to glorify every person that has uh, has used that word state of mind to overcome uh, life's challenges. Well, I think we'll all be looking forward to having that, seeing that, reading that book. So Thank it's going to be awesome. Well, Mark, it's been a pleasure, an absolute pleasure. Anytime we get to spend time with you, it's always a pleasure. But to have you and put this on uh, video, not audio for us, is, uh, is a great honor. And I thank you very much for coming and sharing your wisdom, sharing your expertise, your opinions uh, with hopefully millions of listeners over time that will hear this and they'll know who you are uh, like I know who you are. Thanks, Brett. My, my final parting comment is I have none of those things. <laughs> I have no skills or achievements or anything that supersedes the uh, amount of enthusiasm that I have. I would say that that is 100% on point. You're the one of the most enthusiastic people I've ever met, and it's an honor to be your friend.
And that's it for today. I'm Brett Lechtenberg. As always, if you have any questions for me or people you might like to see on the show, uh, comments, concerns, whatever, you can email me at Brett Lechtenberg, Brett at BrettLechtenberg.com. That's B-R-E-T-T at B-R-E-T-T-L-E-C-H-T-E-N-B-E-R-G.com. And until next time, have a limitless day. Thank you. Bingo. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Good show. Good show. <laughs> that was fun. Well, I've had an empowering day. <laughs> I've been writing a lot of notes. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, you know, obviously we just met, but I'm always curious, what's, what's, what is the takeaway mm -hmm. that you got out of it, not having known me before we started this interview? Mm -hmm. And then what do you see as you're now coming into the limitless program and being part of it what do you see how do we get that out into the art to, to other people oh uh, well uh let me process a little bit and i'll give you a strong answer right now the uh the thing that's coming to my mind for me personally is where are you guys getting this drive from i it's like i used to have it and then i lost it and i'm having a hard time finding it again yeah you know, you know I, a lot of it probably because of this you know thing i had up here but um I don't even have that. I still have the passion for it, but then I can only, anyway, it might just be health things. It might just be the brain holding me back. You know what I mean? <laughs> While it's still healing. <laughs> I doubt, yeah. I doubt that. Okay. Can I give you a perspective? Please, please. I bet you still have the same drive. Yeah. I do too. I, I bet your drive is exactly it's the there. same. Yeah. I bet you it hasn't waned a bit. I, I bet the only difference is you, you, Okay, so have you ever seen that that image that they show sometimes? Uh, Tony Robbins is famous for showing this, yes. where it just has a black dot in the middle of a page, mm -hmm. and then around the black dot are are all these little symbols and whatever. And he shows the thing for like five seconds, and then he asks you what you saw. Okay. The people who only saw the black dot were only focused on the black, black dot. dot right? They didn't see the dollar mm -hmm. sign or the the exclamation point or the red squiggly line or what, I don't remember what all they are. Yeah. But because if you focus only on what your drive mm -hmm. is, all the other stuff goes away. So I feel like mm -hmm. probably the injury had something to do or the brain surgery had something yeah. to do with just made things come into focus that weren't in focus before. I bet your drive is exactly the same. Okay, I, I but I bet you just need to move some of those some of those things out of the way for a minute. Yeah. And I'm not saying those aren't important things. Right. You just need to move them out of the way for a minute. Gotcha. And then bring them back in when you, when you feel like you've, you've accomplished whatever's next mm -hmm. for you. And, and I would agree with that. I think that when most people get derailed, it's because they allow too much in. Mm -hmm. You no longer live by just your value structure, just by the things you know to be great for you. You, you allow a lot of people's opinion, a lot of people's value structure, a lot of other people's stories. It's natural. We all start to our focus dissipates. Mm -hmm. And to me, it's always a matter of sitting down and going, all right, what have I allowed into my life that is not serving me? It's got to be a win, right? right? If 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 it's not a win for me and a win for the people that I associate with and a win for the community at large, then it can't be any good. I gotta, I gotta move on, and you gotta be unapologetically fierce mm -hmm. about how you, how you handle that. I think, yeah. you know, I, I make a conscious effort when I haven't talked to him enough to reach out to him, 
just just to say hi or to text him. Every once in a while, I'll just send him a video text. Says, hey, I appreciate you. Yeah. Right? Same with Sal, same with Bill, same with, with other people as well. I think we all did that to you too because you're, you're, I think you, you probably could go through your texts right now and find. Do you steal my phone? Is that what you're telling me? No. Never set your phone down by this guy. Oh, yeah. That's true. There's a story behind that. That's a good story. I'm definitely a practical joker. If I don't send a text from your phone, I'm definitely taking selfies. Gotcha. Oh, yeah. You'll you'll turn on your phone. There'll be 30 pictures of Mark. Love it. Love it. But, you know, Brett, it's contagious in that way because not only do you do that for you, but it's really for us. We do that to you too because I, I swear if I go two weeks without some Brett Mecklenburg influence, I feel like it's it starts to it starts to wane for me. Me too. I I, I sincerely feel that way. I mean, I'm not just saying. I really have to. If I don't, I've got Bill, Mark, and Sal, who I love to talk to around here, but I, I have my friends back home that I grew up with. If I don't talk to them, it 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 it's heavy on my soul. Gotcha. And I will call. Don, Rick, Bob, Ty, and just just a chat because you know with the Kings, the big one of the big problems is men regress. Yeah, they don't they, talk to yeah, anybody, right? anybody, right? And I'm really conscious of that. And and I only want to and I only reach out to people that are positive. I do not engage in people's stuff. So he's one of the most positive, enthusiastic people, right? And so he's just someone I want to talk to. Nice. <laughs> you know, I think it's important. I think it's important for you mentally, emotionally. Thank you, Rick. I, I feel the same way. Yeah. So, so that's the, that's the big thing I am taking away from me again right now. But I I will be glad to let me again once I process this stuff. Let me really write some stuff up. And I'll be glad to give it to you what I'm getting from what you're saying. I'd be honored. Okay. I'd be honored. Absolutely. Because mm-hmm. I feel like I have a lot. Of, I've done a, so first. So mm-hmm. first, I'm only 51 years old. Okay. I say I'm only 51 because I because he's rubbing it in that he's younger than me. That's why I know that. I know that's. I know that that's. Some yeah. people consider that. Oh man, I'm on my way. I'm my way down. No. Man, I got so much shit to do. That. Yeah. Um. I. That's why you got to be Eric. He's 59. He, he, I have so much to oh, do. He, yeah, he's incredible. And um, I, I've been able to climb six summits without any financial. I didn't pay for any of it. Wow. And. So nothing stops you, really. I, and I figure, yeah. and I don't have money to do ever. Right. I don't have a million dollars, and I need it. But if you set I need your about mind to it, it'd probably come to you. Yeah. But I'm going to figure out a way to get it. Yeah. And it's not going to come from my income. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to figure out a way to get it. But the thing is, I feel like I have all of these things that I've been so blessed with because I don't think I earned any of them. Right. I just feel like I, I, I. I don't know if you're a religious person at yeah, all, but if, when I pray, mm-hmm. I pray, Lord, do not ever let me get what I deserve. Okay. <laughs> Interesting. You know what I mean? You know, everybody says, oh, I'm better than I deserve. And I say that all the time, uh, yeah. but it's absolute truth. Right. If I ever got what I actually deserve. Uh-huh. I mean, so what I'm trying to do is find a way to pay forward mm-hmm. all of these amazing blessings that I have. Right. And I don't have anything. And I'm very dead serious. My parting comment on that interview is I don't have anything yeah. more than I have enthusiasm. Gotcha. That's all I got. Nice. That's my number one thing. That's so how great. can I give that? And enthusiasm is one thing yeah. that I can give you all of my enthusiasm and I yeah. still have all mine. And now you have all mine. You know what I mean? It's the one thing you can give away and never get poorer. In. Right. So I want to give away as much enthusiasm as possible can. So I would love to know 
your take on how I can do that. Okay. I'll get it. Okay. <laughs> I'll get it because because again I, I I feel like that's what I, I'm 55, and I feel like that's what I've done too, and I I, I don't want to make it an excuse. I've never been an excuse guy, and like I I, I told this to. Uh, uh, who was it that we were interviewing? I don't like the word cope. It's a four I was going to be talking yeah. about Yeah, I like conquer. You know, and so that's how I've always looked at it. When I was over, I overcame depression, uh, really severe depression too. And that's something that I've been teaching people ever since. You don't have to live with that. Yeah, congratulations, and, by the uh, way. Thank you. That is a there. huge, oh. I, I know so many people who have not had the success you've had yeah. in overcoming them. Yeah. So and it, it helps when I can sit across the desk and tell people, I say, hey, I know how it is when you're sitting there and you're doing everything you possibly can to stand up. And somebody comes by and says, if you just get up and go for a walk in the morning, you feel better. And you're just like, I can't even get the right finger up. Right. When I say that to somebody <laughs> who truly has depression, they tear up immediately. They go, he gets it. He gets it. You know? <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, yeah, I do. And let me show you what you need to do. And it's, it is baby steps, but you can do it. Absolutely. That kind of thing. And, and so, but I, again, not that I'm patting myself on the back at all, but I've always been that, like you, giver. I give. I, even when I don't have it, I give. You know, give, give, give. And then I just went through a spell where, I don't know if you want to call it life or whatever, but I got the crap beat out of me by my coworkers, even family members, because I didn't have any more to give. I was, I was totally, I'll just drained. say, drained. I had nothing to give, and it's like they're all mad at me because I don't have anything left in me. That there was no, <laughs> there was no thank you for what you've done and helped me get here. No, it was everybody turned on me and everything. They put me in a black hole for a little while, and this this was as early as a year and a half ago. And um, you know, the Kings helped me a lot. I'm so glad I came when I did. But uh, it was like, oh, let me just let things settle. And but now I'm like you say, I thank you for saying what you said. Mark, because it's I do have the enthusiasm. I do. It's still there. I just how can I do it right this time? Mm -hmm. You know, because I, <laughs> I I've got a big vision and and I feel like I what I've got the world needs and not that I have everything the world needs. No, not by any stretch. That's why I love what you said here. What do I have that I you know that I have what do I have that I can give away? And but that's but uh, that's not suck all my energy out <laughs> too <laughs> yeah but that's exactly anyway, where that whole thing yeah. comes from is use what you have yeah you know start where you are use what you have do what you can because well in a sense that's what i'm doing here now that yeah. you say that it's, this is what i have that's, that's what you that's have how, like, okay and so, that's what you have yeah. and, and I, we haven't known each other very long but you have an amazing presence about you i mean when very first walked in the door i'm like yeah. <laughs> i mean i already feel that way when i walk into brett's yeah. physical persona because he's just Right? You're an overwhelming individual at times because you're just, <laughs> you, you, you're, I've never seen you in a bad mood, which, by the way, that's why, you know, unilaterally, we both piss a lot of people off, because I'm, I'm just so, I'm just so, people try to tell me why I shouldn't be happy about whatever the situation is, and I just, 